0: An anthology about the bad, the short lived, and the forgotten shows and events in television history. This is It Was a Thing on TV. Punisher, control! Hey, before I change my mind! I give you Super Train! Oh, <laughs> Episode 442, submission number 668. The Tim Conway Show. And just for clarification, this is the Tim Conway Show from 1980, not from 1970. The Tim Conway Show aired on CBS from March 22nd of 1980 to March 7th of 1981 for 31 episodes. Oh, that's almost two crock blocks. That's one short of two crock blocks because we all know a crock block is 16 episodes which is the number of episodes that Hudson Brothers, Resident Dazzle Show, and JJ Starbuck, and Uncle Croc's Block, and Schooled, and Little Bush, and Misfits of Science, and Tiger King, and Jabberjaw, and the number of aired episodes of, uh, of, of Salvage One. And oh, I'm sure there's something else I'm missing, but you know what? You know what a crock block is. We've been doing this gag since 2023, since last year.
1: And this is the fifth show that we've covered that premieres in March of 1980. The others are Pink Lady and Jeff back in episode 36. Beyond Westworld back in episode 314. Here's Boomer back from episode 273. And Sanford from episode 94. It's the Tim Conway Show with Maggie Roswell, Jack Riley, Miriam Flynn, Eric Boardman, Dick Orkin and Bert Burden, the Don Kite Dancers, and tonight's special guest star, Village People.
0: I know you guys are a little too young to remember the 70s. I don't even really remember the 70s that well. Thank heavens we have the internet and we have old TV stations, the Me TVs and Antenna TVs, so we can relive those days. But one of the big genres of TV shows in the 70s was the Variety show. I think we could start first and foremost with the Carol Burnett show, even though that was more comedy than Variety, but they did have musical interludes, so it's not entirely comedy, but we could be here forever and a day talking about all the different variety shows that were on television, specifically network television from the seventies through about 78, 79, 80. And we could talk about Sonny and Cher. We could talk about Donnie and Marie. We could talk about one of the favorites around here, the Kenberry wow show. We talked a couple of weeks ago about Chuck Barris's. What was it? It wasn't Razzle Dazzle. That was the Hudson Brothers. Uh, it was uh, the Chuck Barris Razzmatazz show or something like that. Some crap. It was the Chuck Barris Ra-Ra show, not oh. Razzmatazz. Rah-rah. I knew. It, yeah, I knew it began with an R-A, and uh, I didn't knew it wasn't Razzle Dazzle because that was sadly done by the Hudson Brothers. Oh, and we should also mention, since we're talking about the Primetime Variety show, the Hudson Brothers had their own primetime variety show before the razzle dazzle show sort of a extension of the uh the primetime show if you will they did so well in the summer of 74 they're like we're gonna give you a fall series on saturday mornings and well we know how that ended up there were variety shows out the wazoo in the 70s Carol burnett's show came to an end in 1977 this show as i mentioned earlier started in March of 1980. And really, this is just your essentially run of the mill type of variety show with some names and and really with some quality names that we're going to get into in a little bit. Very heavy on the comedy. And given the show had Tim Conway's name attached to it, I think you'd expect nothing less than that. And actually, I apologize. I said 77 is when the Carol Burnett show ended, it was actually 78. So, about a year and a half later, this premiered. Tim Conway, oh my gosh, what can we say about him? He did it all. He actually, believe it or not, started off in Cleveland. He actually worked alongside uh, Gulardi, who people around here know better, as Ernie Anderson. They go back to Ernie Anderson's late night, Friday sort of schlock movie fest back in the 60s. We're talking about well before Tim Conway made it to McHale's Navy. And we're talking, obviously, before uh, the Tim Conway show that happened in 1970. We're talking, obviously, before Carol Burnett show, which he would have started being a regular on that later in the run, around 1975. But also, you know, we talked about Tim Conway in the past because he was Ace Crawford Private Eye. Really, I think, an underrated TV show. I thought that was a very fun episode. Deserved a better fate, And of course. Where we've talked about him. Which Dorf movie do we talk about? Dorf on the Diamond.
1: Dorf on the Diamond.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: Those were the days of the Stream Lounge era.
0: R.I.P. Stream Lounge. We never got a chance to see him on Dorf the Bingo King. One of us has to spend money on that piece of crap. This show focused primarily on the comedy of. Tim Conway. There were some variety segments. We'll get to those in a little bit. I think the big thing we need to talk about is the people who are on the show with Tim Conway because there are some big names on here. And there's obviously no character names. So we're just going to give the actors and actresses names. We had Maggie Roswell. And Maggie Roswell, really, there's two things you'd know her from. Well, actually, one thing, but two different voices. And I just, lo- well, actually not two voices. There's three voices. And I like that two of the voices are sort of related, if you think about it. She voiced Helen Lovejoy on The Simpsons. And she voiced Maud Flanders on The Simpsons. So wives of two very pious individuals, very religious individuals. And she also gave Luann Van Houten her voice. So she was basically that mother on The Simpsons whose name is not Marge. Ellen Lovejoy, Maude Flanders, Luann Van Houten. Someone remind Maude Flanders not to go to the racetrack. Just saying. Also, uh, we have Miriam Flynn in this series. She's cousin Catherine in the vacation movies. And again, adding to the variety component to the show, there was a team of dancers called the Don Crichton Dancers. They did appear on an episode of Carol Burnett and Company in 1979, and they did appear on a 1967 episode of the original Carol Burnett show. But they were on all 31 episodes of the Tim Conway show. Another member of the troupe is Bert Burtis. And Bert Bertis, not a big name, but oh my gosh, he voiced Don Penguin on Beekman's World. You remember the penguins at the start of the show or when they go to commercials, they'd wisecrack and whatnot? He was one of the penguins in those segments. I loved those segments. I just love Beekman's World. I would love to see that again on television. Come on, Universal, make it happen. Well, about, I'm guessing about 10 years ago at this point, one of the digital subchannels here actually showed Beekman's World on weekend mornings. As EI content. So it's out there somewhere. I don't know if it's Universal that's holding it back, but like I said, in the last 10 years, I saw it as EI content. Dick Orkin was, again, uh, another person in this troupe. And Dick Orkin, more known as a writer. And actually, in terms of acting, he was a voice in a 1986 movie called Christmas Every Day. And he did a voice in the 1988 movie, The Canterville Ghost. Not much of a career after this. Another variety type of act that occasionally appeared, nine episodes, it says, is the Peter Matz Orchestra. And really, they did some stuff, but not a lot of stuff. They did something called Here's Edie in 1962. They were on five episodes of The Jimmy Dean Show in 1963 and 1964. And then something called live and in person in 1983, they got to star on a variety show with a sausage magnet. All right. Some other names, some that, you know, some that you don't know that were on the series for less than 10 episodes. Harvey Corman, again, another person who was on the Carol Burnett show. He was on eight episodes. Carol Burnett was on four episodes and really th- Their appearances primarily came in the second season. That's something I noticed about this show is you did have true guest stars in season one, but in season two, they brought back a lot of people from Carol Burnett show, guessing for a ratings boost. You had Rick Siegel as one of the Don Crichton dancers for three episodes. He played Ricky Stevens in 10 episodes of The Partridge Family in 1973, if that name sounds familiar. And then he was only on three episodes. I thought he was on more uh, than three episodes. But one of the great character actors ever in the history of television, Jack Riley. Stu Pickles from Rugrats. If you're a certain age, you would say that. I don't think of him as Stu Pickles. I think of him just as a character actor, to be honest. But really, where I remember him from is the Bob Newhart show. Elliot Carlin, classic character. But I also remember him as a number of characters on Night Court. Specifically, I remember him playing a not-so-cheery clown, let's say. He was not happy-go-lucky. He was more like a perpetually pissed-off clown. But yeah, if you saw the face, and again, if you watch the Bob Newhart show, you know exactly who Jack Riley is. One of the really amazing, great character actors in history. Another name that shows up on some episodes, I thought he appeared on more than three, which is what IMDb says, but I know he also did writing for this show. We just talked about him last month, Eric Boardman. We're talking about the same person who hosted the New Liars Club. Eric Borbin did more than the New Liars Club. We talked about him previously as an alumnus of Second City, and he's done uh, various different TV specials over the years. But around here, he's going to be remembered for two things, the New Liars Club, and he's going to be remembered for the Tim Conway show because he actually got some decent airtime on early episodes. We may get into that as we go towards the episodes but, yeah, there's a lot of names that made guest appearances or were the primary guest uh, for uh, certain episodes. We'll get to that as we go along. Like I said, we got 31 episodes. I don't know if we're going to get too deep into the episodes, if they're going to break down all the skits or not. But we could definitely talk about the names that were on the episodes. Chico has the episode guide, so I'm going to hand the reins over to him. Go for it, Chico. And as always, thank
2: you so much to the Internet Movie Database and Google for their assistance in this endeavor. Episode 1, Burt Reynolds and Michelle Lee. Tim uses clips from Burt Reynolds films with new voiceover dubs to make him a guest on the show, and Michelle Lee performs. Of course, Michelle Lee of The Knots Landing.
0: I didn't know she was a singer. Did you know she was a singer? Is she singing? I don't remember her singing on this episode. That doesn't mean she didn't. I just don't remember her singing on this episode. And there are some snippets about some of the skits on this, uh, not just this episode, but overall in the series. Uh, It says that Tim interviews a macho superstar. Boy, I wonder who that is. And uses member of the studio audience in a sketch set in a restaurant. That was one thing I noticed. I don't remember that specific skit but i remember seeing on uh, some other episodes tim conway would get members of the audience to play certain roles in skits and they were actually very funny now admittedly they're just people picked out of the audience who you know don't know how to act who are just following direction but there were some funny ones and i don't know if it was this episode i thought it was this episode but one of the first sketches Actually, has Eric Boardman playing a judge. I think it was the first skit on the first episode or the first skit after the introduction. You had Eric Boardman playing a judge. I don't remember the entire background of it, uh, what the punchline was or what have you. But actually, it was one of those things where happened like three times in the episode. You know, they'd cut to a courtroom scene and they'd deliver their gag and then. Later on in the episode, 20 minutes, 25 minutes later, go back to the courtroom scene, and there's Eric Boardman playing the judge, and there's another one-liner, and then... Yeah, they, they did that like three times on the first episode, or at least the first episode that I saw, what, what I thought was episode one. But now episode two, I know I definitely saw this one with Casey and the Sunshine Band. Boy, if that doesn't date this episode, I don't know what does. Tim welcomes Casey and the Sunshine Band to the show Also, he receives a visit from an old friend during his opening monologue. Not going to lie, I don't remember who the old friend was. I think Chico might have an idea, though.
2: It's his old boss, Carol Burnett. She did her Mrs. Wiggins. She was with Tim in the intro. And again, drives Tim nuts when the props work for her and not him.
0: And says that Casey and the Sunshine Band performed a new song. I'm going to say kind of no to that. Because, and this is fuzzy because it's been a number of months since I've seen it. I want to say that the band's equipment, I want to say either got repossessed. I don't think it got damaged. But it got taken off the stage as they're trying to play the song. And they don't get through the entire song before some sort of comic routine happens or maybe the comic routine happens while they're taking the different instruments off the stage but they don't get to play the whole song. And actually one thing that we did not mention is the announcer for this show and we talked about him actually at the top of the show. Ernie Anderson did the announcing on this show. Listen, remember that Ernie Anderson also did the announcing on the Carol Burnett show. So again, it's like keeping everything from the old TV show kind of sort of intact because already in two episodes we've got Ernie Anderson announcing and he did the Carol Burnett show and we've got Carol Burnett visiting and we talked earlier about how Harvey Korman's going to appear on a number of episodes. So it's almost like an extension of the Carol Burnett show, even though really it's not episode three special guest is Melba Moore. Stay tuned because we're going to talk about Melba Moore in a few weeks. Feature sketches such as an intelligent, lassie like dog that can't convince his owner that a barn is on fire and Tim is trying to apply for an auto loan.
2: Also, Don Knotts gets blackmailed by Tim to get him to appear on the show.
0: You know, I think that'd be kind of a tough get uh, at this time because, remember, Don Knotts is on another network playing Mr. Furley. Not to mention that clout with the incredible Mr. Limpet, right? Right. Well, I don't think it's a case of blackmail. I think it's more of a case of hey, ABC, how much can we give you so Mr. Furley can appear on our show? That's what it comes down
2: to, I'd say. Episode four Susan Anton. Jack Riley wears a Suzanne Summers mask to pretend to be Tim's guest, only to have the real Suzanne Summers walk on stage. you heard me and special guest susan anton performs a duet with tim that gets a little awkward for everybody involved the song sometimes when we touch in this case the honesty
0: is way too much all right episode five the guest is barbara mandrill And this is about a year or so before her and her sisters had their variety show. Gosh knows we saw enough of Barbara Mandrell and the Mandrell sisters in my household back in 1981. Just saying. Now, again, I mentioned earlier, Tim Conway likes getting audience members involved in certain skits. This is one of those cases. Tim enlists several members of the audience to join him in performing a Western-themed sketch. Also, Tim suits up to test a hot tub. And on top of that, Dick Martin interrupts the start of the show to do his version of an introduction to Tim Conway and Barbara Mandrell sings Darling.
2: Episode 6, Bernadette Peters. Bernadette catches Tim pretending to make love to her behind a closed door to impress the audience. What? Later, she sings, Gee whiz, Bernadette later dances with the Dawn Crichton dancers. She also shows up in a sketch where she is awaiting a marriage proposal from Tim.
0: No, I don't believe that. I'm sorry. Not a good match there, just saying.
2: I don't think so, Tim. Episode 7 Helen Ready. David Copperfield tears up Tim's cue card, then magically puts it back together when they decide to use it. Meanwhile, Mr. Tudball. Tim tries to eat a horrible diner breakfast and Helen Reddy sings Take What You Find Episode 8 The Village People Tim's introductory script is missing pages so he calls down his writers. A chimp arrives with the missing pages I wonder if it's Bobo from Mr. Smith
1: That's not for another three years Be a
2: young Bobo then The Village People perform You Can't Stop the Music, and Mr. Tudball tries to order lunch during
1: breakfast hours,
2: a problem that you would not have in 2024.
1: Now, let me note, this is around the time the Village People have their movie,
0: Can't Stop the Music.
2: Oh, God, that movie was terrible.
0: Are we talking about the Village People? Yes. Yes. Are we talking about the declaration that we made that once the 80s started, the village people were dead? Or not the village people, but Disco was dead? Yes. Okay. That's what I get for stepping out for all of two minutes.
2: We were also talking about You Can't Stop the Music.
0: Oh, yeah. I remember that. Wasn't it a terrible? Yeah. When did we talk about that? Was that the Playboy bikini party? Whatever yes. it was. The roller disco and bikini party. Remember,
1: they were going to get ready for the 80s. And no village people, you're not going to get ready for the
0: 80s. Somebody should have just warned everybody ahead of time. Disco was not going to make it into 1980. And the last episode
2: of season one, Mel Tillis. Thundering Mel Tillis always gives a perfect performance when singing. And later, Tim engages the entire audience in a Frankenstein sketch.
0: The entire audience, wow. Now, anytime I saw him do a sketch with the audience, he'd get maybe like four audience members, five audience members. But to get the whole audience involved, that's pretty brave. On the subject of
2: the sketch, a poor traveler headed to the airport in a hurry suffers by having Tim's old man character as his cabbie
0: could be worse. It could be Dorf, and Dorf won't be able to look over the steering wheel. Again, watching this show, when Tim does these sketches with the audience, I think they're brilliant. He does such a great job telling people what to do and reacting to non-professionals acting. I thought this was one of the more creative and really one of the best parts of the series as a whole. And it wouldn't be wrong. I mean, this is his strength.
2: He is strongest when he's making himself the butt of the joke. We talked about this in Ace Crawford. We talked about this in Dorf. And he invites everybody to laugh at him.
0: He wasn't really the butt of the joke in these segments, though, to be honest. He was more, I'd almost say, like a director type, saying, You do this, you do that, you do. This whatever this happens, so he really wasn't the foil here. He wasn't the uh, the the recipient of humor. He was more or less leading everything. Now that that season's out of the way and
2: the entire season aired Saturday nights at eight o'clock, which, if I'm not mistaken, was Carol Burnett's old slot. Carol Burnett's old slot wasn't at eight. I think she was at nine. On ABC, you had. Angie and Good Time Girls. We talked about Angie. If I'm not mistaken, this would be season two of Angie, so. Good time girls. That's for another episode. And on NBC,
1: oh boy. It was up against BJ and the Bear. And you know what spun off this season from BJ and the Bear. year Flu Boo.
2: So, ratings? You have the ratings for season one, I take it, but From what I understand, ratings for season one were bad. And not so much a fault of Tim Conway, but nobody was watching a variety show in 1980, especially one on a Saturday night.
0: I mentioned earlier that this show I thought was brilliant. I thought this is a great show. I've seen a number of episodes, but you beat me to the punch. I was going to say the variety show. Sort of died out about a year or two earlier. If this would have premiered not in 1980, but sort of as an extension of the Carol Burnett show in 1978, I think the show had a better chance. Alas, you have that two year gap, and in that two years, you see a lot of variety shows sort of going down the drain. We talked about Sonny and Cher, we talked about Donnie Marie. Greg even mentioned at the start of the show that the same month this premiered, Pink Lady and Jeff premiered. And I think Pink Lady and Jeff was like the final nail in the coffin for the variety series, but that had more issues than just the variety series was dead. It doesn't help when two of the three stars of your show can't even speak English. So yeah, if this started in 78, Maybe you get a three- or four-year run out of it. But unfortunately, it started in 1980, and you got two seasons. And I do have some of the ratings for the first season, so we'll see if it's as bad as you say it is. The first week I have is the last week of March of 1980. Out of 66 shows, it finished at 42, so right about the two-thirds mark. Some shows that it did better than Barnaby Jones, admittedly the final season of Barnaby Jones, Little House on the Prairie, BJ and the Bear, Buck Rogers in the 25th Century, an all-star family feud, Ken Speed and Brown Shoe, previous entry, Here's Boomer, previous entry, Hawaii Five-0, again, final season, Rockford Files, again, final season, And the aforementioned Pink Lady and Jeff. I actually have the ratings for the week before that. So out of 69 shows, just say it.
1: Nice.
0: I hope you're proud of yourself. I am. Out of that many shows, Tim Conway's show finished 39th. So almost the top half. I mean, top half would be thirty-five. 34, 35. So it was right on the cusp there. And again, some big shows that it did better than. Trapper John MD, WKRP in Cincinnati, 2020, Rockford Files, You Miss Sheriff Flobo, Buck Rogers, Here's Boomer, Family, Sanford, White Shadow, Hawaii Five-O, 0 Facts of Life, and Speed and Brown Shoe, and Pink Lady. So really, I think maybe CBS was sort of on the fence here. Yeah, they knew who they had. Yeah, it did better than a lot of shows that were on the way out. And really, if you think about it, that might be the reason Tim Conway stuck around. Because Y5O was gone. It finished in 1980. And 1980 was also the end of Barnaby Jones, as I said earlier. So there's two hours of shows that you need to fill. I know it's Saturday night, but just an idea there.
2: Another thing, and we saw this play out last year. What happened in the middle of 1980? We talked about it on That's My Line. An actor's strike. Variety shows like the Tim Conway show fall under the network code and not like anything to do with the Screen Actors Guild at the time, that would be fair game. So, any other time, Tim Conway's show would probably have been cancelled, but CBS renewed it. There would be changes, though. Eric Boardman, Jack Riley, they were gone. And also, it would be not an hour-long show, but a half-hour-long show. And there would be four changes on top of that. Bert Burtis and Dick Orkin would leave the cast. And Harvey Corman would be brought on to
0: co-host the show? So now it's essentially a full-fledged reunion of the Carol Burnett show. Essentially. I mean, I know you don't have Vicki Lawrence there, and I know you don't have Carol Burnett, obviously, as a regular, but you've got Tim Conway and Harvey Korman, and gosh knows they work so well together. Look at just like any classic sketch from the Carol Burnett show the last three, four seasons. So let's see
2: what the new flavor of the Tim Conway show has to offer. Season two, episode one, Dallas. Tim strikes comedic oil in a rich spoof of the hit series Dallas. Then Tim and audience members put on a sketch about the
0: Titanic. Hey, Susan, what's your reaction to that audience led skit of the Titanic? Uh oh. That was not Susan. That was Greg. Uh oh. That was still Greg. Uh oh. Much better. Episode
2: 2, Super Guy. Tim shops for a waterbed, gets taken in by a hidden camera show, and takes to the sky as Super Guy. Episode 3, Carol Burnett. Now it's a full-fledged reunion. Well, mine is Vicki Lawrence. Returning soldier Tim has mixed feelings when he overhears his love Writing a letter to him Episode 4 Satire on TV commercials Tim finds That a restaurant table next to the kitchen Reveals just how fresh his meal is
0: Is it as fresh As the Pop-Tarts mascot Going into the toaster after the Pop-Tarts bowl?
2: No (laughs) Episode 5 The gun mole. Tim gets laughs As a derelict who sits in With a jazz band and utilizes audience members for a sketch about a gangster's girl. So I guess it's the gun mall, not the gun mole. Episode six, coping with teenage girls. Tim struggles to connect when he takes it upon himself to take his teenage daughter and her friend out for dinner. Episode seven, Don knots. Two big-time comedy legends join forces when the hilarious Don Knots joins host Tim for a silent movie parody. Episode 8. Surprise guest Harvey Corman. Tim will not be sidelined when he appears in his oldest man persona as a football team doctor. Episode 9. Jonathan Winters. Tim is a football coach, and Jonathan is the dim-witted
0: quarterback who only knows one play. Hey, that's one more play than Robert Sala knows. Wait, Robert Sala knows plays? No, you missed it. He knows how to only run one play, and that happens to be one more than how many Robert Sala knows how to run. Episode 10,
2: Carol Burnett and Harvey Korman. For a stage play, Tim fills in as the waitress for her customers Harvey and Carol. Carol and Harvey then dance with Harvey, doing all of the moving. We're going to get the full reunion in episode 11. Episode 11 Vicky Lawrence. Vicky and Tim are a married couple that shop at a shoe store. However, Tim is only willing to buy Vicky a pair of shoes that won't fit. Episode 12. Harvey Corman Explorer. Tim and Harvey will crack you and each other up in a sketch about an explorer who has spent a bit too much time
0: studying gorillas.
1: Gorillas.
0: In addition, the audience participates in the trial of Captain John Smith. There's a Fantasy Island skit. Tim Conway breaks out of prison. And there's a Godfather spoof. Episode 13,
2: audience participates in a mock murder trial. Tim causes havoc at a recital, then brings members of the audience on stage to take part in a courtroom sketch. Episode 14, Washington Crossing the Delaware. Audience participates in Washington Crossing the Delaware. A bank customer discovers crime does pay. And by the way, it should be noted that these audience sketches, they're called Show Time Sketches, or Show Tim Sketches. Episode 15, The Empire Strikes Out. Tim uses the Force and audience members for the sci-fi spoof, The Empire Strikes Out. Also, Harvey and Tim are Shipwreck Survivors. Episode 16. Harvey Corbin as Snow White and Carol Burnett as Joan of Arc. What? I kid you not. Carol Burnett reprises her Eunice character in a Joan of Arc sketch, and Harvey is Snow White to Tim's Prince Charming. By the way, Tim is the old man prince. Episode 17. Tim is a vampire with bad aim. Maggie demonstrates how to use a focker to Harvey, and Tim plays a vampire with a bad aim and an ex-president looking for used cars. Meanwhile, Harvey dances with the Don Crichton dancers in baseball uniforms. Episode 18. Harvey Corman, Prison Warden. Accident-prone Tim goes to the emergency clinic for a splinter, but he has a knack for things to go wrong. Warden Corbin gives ex-con Conway a release only to have his ditzy wife arrive and talk about a numbers racket. Oh, jeez. Episode 19, Harvey Corman Dances Cheek to Cheek. Old Man Tim is the bellhop for Harvey and his new bride who attempts to bring their luggage in and prepare the room for them. And Broadway singer Harvey comes down with parrot fever when trying to sing and dance. Episode 20. Harvey Corman is a used car salesman. It's a comedy offer you can't refuse when Tim plays a gangster hassled by a used car salesman played by Harvey. Episode 21, Murder on the Accidental Express. The amateur theater show Tim puts on a mystery, Murder on the Accidental Express, using members of the audience, while Tim plays sheer luck Holmes. And the final episode, Harvey visits a barber asking for a shave. Their expert shaver is old man Tim, who gets into a battle with a hairdryer. Tangles with the Hot Tile Machine, and Shaving Cream Dispenser. Also, a brief second appearance of Fantastic Island.
0: Well, that's the show. Let's take a look at the schedule to see where the show might have had some issues. Chico did talk about the first season earlier, saying that it did go up against BJ and the Bear for the entire 8 to 9 o'clock hour. And at least on the premiere episode, it went up against the first hour of The Love Boat. That's a real tough one-two punch there out of the gate. So season two, I've got a little bit of information on season two. Not a whole heck of a lot. I do have some ratings, though. We'll get to the numbers in a little bit because the numbers really were not that bad for starters, I don't believe. The season two premiere, as we talked about earlier, it went down to half an hour. It was still on Saturday nights. It aired just from 8 to 8.30 p.m. And really, the second season premiere, the timing really was not good. Uh, It went up against the first half hour of a two-hour love boat and the first half hour of part one of One of the many series events of 1980, Centennial, on NBC. Sorry, as much as you may love Tim Conway, he's not beating Love Boat in 1980, and he sure as heck is not beating Centennial. So that was not a very good start for the season. If we move a little further in the future, we're going to go all the way to November of 1980, And we'll see if it gets any better. The competition was a little bit better. Tim Conway was from 8.30 to 9.00 following WKRP. This would have been second to last season. So not a bad lead-in. On NBC, it was up against the second half hour of a Barbara Mandrell and her sister's special. And... On ABC, it was up against the second half hour of something called Breaking Away. Love Boat was on from 9 to 10, so it avoided Love Boat. And Fantasy Island would have been 10 to 11, so it missed the meat and potatoes of the ABC lineup on Saturdays. So maybe that worked out a little bit better. As I said, I do have some of the numbers for the show. Some of the numbers are not that bad rating-wise. I have the ratings for the first week. So this is the premiere of the second season. So this is from September 15th to the 21st of 1980. Out of 51 shows, this is not good to start. Just 51 shows, 44th. Only thing of note that it beat was The Incredible Hulk, of all things. And actually right behind Mork and Mindy. It did get a little bit better. It may be in terms of number, but, yeah, if the number's better, that doesn't necessarily mean it may be a higher-rated show. For the next week, September 22nd to the 28th, out of 53 shows, it was 29th. And that was a new show going up against a number of reruns. So we're almost at the top half. And among the shows that it beat, the aforementioned Centennial Part 5, Trapper John, M.D., One Day at a Time, albeit a repeat. Incredible Hulk, albeit a repeat. Archie Bunker's Place, albeit a repeat. Benson, again, repeat. Angie, believe it or not, again, a repeat. So maybe we should take a look at, like, the newer shows. What did it beat among new shows? Rumor of War Part 2. Don't know what that is. Sounds like a miniseries. Death in the Southwest Prison. Empire Strikes Back. That's not the movie.
1: It's a special.
0: I figured it was some sort of special. It obviously wasn't the movie because it was released in 1980. Uh, Rumor of War Part 1. Games people play. Those Amazing Animals. We talked about that previously. Bad News Bears in Japan. Lindstones whatever Flintstones special might have been airing in October, September of 1980. 2020, for the love of it, John Schneider Returns Home, Speak Up America and NBC Magazine with David Brinkley. So again, 29th is not a bad number. It's almost the top half, but really it doesn't get much better than that. Taking a look at future weeks, I see a lot of ratings in the low 30s to high 40s. I'm seeing a 43, I saw a 38, there's a 49. And I'm guessing that's going to be out of probably about 60 shows, give or take five either way. February of 1981, 51st. So again, bottom fourth, not good. And again, the shows that it beat, those amazing animals we talked about, White Shadow, which I believe this is final season at this point. Concrete Cowboys, we talked about previously. Flamingo Road, Charlie's Angels, I'm a Big Girl Now. Bill Street Blues, Flow. Yeah, it's not looking good at this point. So in the end, I bet the way CBS looked at this is we gave you an hour for the first season. Yes, it was funny, but yes, you're also getting pummeled by The Love Boat and BJ and the Bear. So, second season, we're gonna cut down to half an hour. But again, you're going up against some really good competition on ABC and NBC, and you're absolutely getting pummeled again. So, I guess at that point, they just said, "You know what? We tried. There's just no way we're gonna get good ratings out of this show. And like I said, I thought it was a perfectly great show. I thought it was very funny. I may have been the only one, But also, like I said, if this debuted two years earlier, I bet you it would have had a good three to four year run. Well, maybe it would have even carried, for lack of a better word, carried the variety genre. Because, again, you look at 1980, variety shows were all but dead. I mean, what variety shows would have been on there? We talked about Pink Lady and Jeff. And you can call this a variety show. And actually, I believe this would have been the last season of this show. In syndication, The Muppet Show, that had, I think, five seasons. I believe eighty eighty one was the final season of The Muppet Show. Other than that, I really think The Variety Show was dead. And as we talked about last month, I think the quasi-reality show was beginning to become popular. Talking about, that's incredible, talking about real people. So maybe it's just a case of bad timing, unfortunately. Because, like I said, I've seen a number of the episodes... I thought they were great, specifically talking about the first season. But still, it was good enough to entertain me. And again, Tim Conway is just a comedic genius if you've never seen it. And if you haven't seen it, there's good news for you. If you go to Crackle, all 31 episodes can be streamed as we speak. Also could be said for Plex and Shout TV. I'm guessing on-demand in both of those
2: cases? Yes, sir. Especially since, if I'm not mistaken, Shout Factory owns the rights to the Tim Conway show right now.
0: And I haven't seen it pop up on Shout Factory's channel on Plex or any of the other streaming services. Doesn't mean it's not out there, but maybe it'll pop up one day just randomly because they tend to enjoy doing that voting an entire day to, let's say, Al for the Carol Burnett Show or Weird Al. So maybe they'll have a day of just Tim Conway. But yeah, if you go to Crackle, all 31 episodes are there. Give it a try. I think you're going to enjoy it. And I'm sure there's other places online you can find it with maybe more of a dubious legality. So in the end, CBS... Gave it a chance. Gave it a legitimate chance. They gave it an hour. Ratings weren't good. They cut it to half an hour. Ratings still weren't good. You can't cut another half an hour when you're down to half an hour. So, unfortunately, Tim Conway show got the kibosh. But really, I encourage you to find this TV show. Give it a chance, because really, it's a great thing that was on TV. And it lives on at least an internet forum on Crackle. Greg, I think I'm going to call you up to uh, bats because we need a Russell Westbrook update if you've got one. Russell Westbrook, he can sure score triple doubles, but
1: he sure as hell can't think straight when he's trying to make a pass. It's the Russell Westbrook update. So when we last left Russ two weeks ago, the Clippers beat Golden State 121-113. So on Saturday, December 16th, they beat the Knicks by 22. Russ scored 10 points. On Monday, December 18th against Indiana, they won 151-127. Russ had 10 points. Against the Mavericks on December 20th in Dallas, the Clippers won by 9. He scored 10 points. The following day in Oklahoma City, they lost by 19. Russ scored 15. They played the Celtics at home. They lost 145-108. Russ scored 12 points. But in the last episode of the time of recording on the 26th on Boxing Day, the Clippers beat the Hornets 113-104. Russ had a double-double, 14 points. And 11 rebounds. And he actually had a double double back on December 21st. So let's see where the Clippers are as of the time of recording this on December 29th. So the Clippers right now are in fourth place in the Western Conference at 18 and 12, tied with Sacramento and a game ahead of Dallas.
0: They've done really well as of late.
1: Yes, they have. I'm telling you, I think the Harden trade is paying real good dividends for them right now.
0: They're the four seed in the West, tied with the Kings. So, yeah, it just took them a little bit of time. We saw how they were earlier this season, and they're starting to gel now. And they actually have a record very comparable to, of course, make it about my team, the Cavs. The Cavs have actually two more losses, same number of wins, and they're actually the sixth seed in the East. So I bet you we're going to see them come playoff time in April and May. That's going to do it for this episode, but please remember you can go to our website at itwasathingontv.com where you can listen to the 441 episodes that preceded this one. And we've got a whole bunch of great stuff there. We've got mini live shows, extended versions. We've got instant reactions. We have a great instant reaction to the Pop-Tarts Bull. if you haven't heard that. That's a must-listen, in my opinion. And also remember that we're on all social media, including Instagram, Threads, and Mastodon over at It Was The Thing on TV. Except don't forget Facebook, we are at It Was The Thing on TV podcast. Darn you, Mark Zuckerberg. And please remember if you want to follow us on Mastodon, you need to search for us at It Was The Thing on TV at TVWatch.party. Also, don't forget you can find us on any worthwhile podcast service, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, as long as that's still around, TuneIn Radio iHeartRadio, Audible, we're seemingly everywhere. And please don't forget we're also on YouTube where you can like and subscribe to our channel. Please do not forget to hit that notification bell on YouTube to stay informed of all our future uploads on the channel, including what's coming up next week. Next week, we're not going to talk about specific shows or series. We're going to talk about situational type of stuff. What happens when certain things happen on TV shows. What happens on a TV show when a character dies, but also at the same time, what happens when the star dies? So we're going to talk about characters passing away, not necessarily in real life. They may be characters that are killed off or what have you, but when we talk about when the star dies, yeah, we're going to get into talking about presumably John Ritter and Eight Simple Rules. That's the first one that comes to mind, I believe. I'm sure there's other ones that have happened over the years. But we'll talk about both of those situations next week right here at It Was the Thing on TV. Thank you very much for listening. And we'll catch you next week with those two new episodes.
1: Wow! Saturday, it's Tim Conway, his outrageous cast of crazy characters, with special guests Casey and the Sunshine Band. The new Tim Conway Show, Saturday at 8, 7 Central.